Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to my podcast. Today, we're going to talk about myths about the brain, specifically neuromyths and how these can affect our performance in school, work, and life. But before I do, I just want to remind you about my mental health initiative that we're doing this year, and I hope you'll join me. And if you want to join me, you'll find the information in the show notes. So, neuromyths. What is a neuromyth? In recent years, neuroscience has become really popular. It's almost as though if you add the prefix neuro in front of something like neuroeducation, neuroleadership or neurospirituality or neuro whatever, it suddenly makes something elevated to another level. Like it's, it's like the gospel kind of thing, giving it more clout and more credibility. Yet we need to be very, very cautious about that because with so many articles on how the brain works, And so many programs out there promising to boost our brain function and make us more intelligent and make us more successful if you play this brain game or do this brain exercise. It can actually be really confusing to know just what to believe when it comes to thinking and learning on a day-to-day basis, whether it's at school, work, or just in life in general. We're only just really beginning to understand how the brain works. You know, in this day and age with the advances in technology, we only understand about 8 to 10% of how the brain functions, let alone how the mind functions and the mind-brain connection. Huge burgeoning fields of research that we're learning a lot more about on a daily basis. So we need to be very careful when it comes to believing everything that we hear especially since neuromyths have a way of sticking around long after science disproves them. A myth is exactly that. It's something that gets into culture, becomes very pervasive through culture, very often then science will disapprove it, but science is generally about 20 years ahead of what's happening out there in the education sphere and the workplace. So here's science disproving, and for 20 years still people will be doing things in the wrong way. And neuromyths are a very typical example of that. 20 years ago, the debunking of neuromyths began, but it's only really now in today's culture that we are seeing the actual negative effects and people are waking up to the fact that we need to be very, very careful about how we use the concept of neuro, neuromyth, brain, neurocentricity, neuroscience, brain, 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 that way of thinking, brain games, magic brain games that are going to fix you and make you more intelligent and instantly fix all your problems. So what is a neuromyth specifically? These myths are common and damaging misconceptions, okay, about how the brain works, about the nature of the brain. And basically, they can shape our understanding of learning, of education, of work, of science, and of life. So they're very impactful and very pervasive. And these in turn influence what we believe about our own abilities and our abilities to succeed in life. Unfortunately, a number of these myths are prevalent amongst the general public, educators, and even neuroscientists. 
In fact, some of the main myths that I've had encountered during my studies and my research and my clinical practice are still around today, unfortunately. So I'm just going to talk about a few of these. So the first one I want to talk about is the right brain, right left brain neuromyth. You're not a left brain thinker or a right brain thinker. It's impossible. When you're thinking, your whole brain is working. The left is working with the right all the time. The energy of your mind is flowing through your entire brain and your entire brain is responding, left and right working together. Effective thinking involves both the right and the left brain working together in this very synergistic way. The right brain processes information from our minds, from the big picture to the detail, while the left brain processes information from our minds from the detail to the big picture, and they do it at the same time. So everything that we do, from eating to talking to reading to thinking, everything requires this this parallel processing of the left side detail to big picture and the right side big picture to detail. A simple, simple example, two times two equals four would be the way that the left side of the brain would process that calculation. At exactly the same time, the right side of the brain would do that calculation as four equals two groups of two. So it's two sides of the coin and they work together because you need to understand that two times two equals four is the same as four equals two groups of two in order to understand that concept. Where did this, where did this neuromyth come from? Way back many years ago, there was research on people where they, that they did in post-mortem. So in people, they did autopsies of people that had died and when, uh, of people that had died and had brain damage. And so people would, for example, have damage, um, maybe hit their head in a certain way or have an accident of some sort. And they had damage in a certain part of their left side of their brain. And when they were doing the uh, autopsies, they basically saw the damage there. And they said, oh, well, these people's speech changed. Therefore, the left side of the brain is for speech or their ability to do mathematics changed. So therefore, the left side of the brain was responsible for that. Or they they used to be able to be quite creative and um, artistic, but they had damage in their right side of the brain. So they suddenly couldn't do that. But that was way back when, when we didn't have advanced brain technology. And as brain technology and research has advanced, so we see that that thinking is very basic and it's, it's very um, what we would call kind of on a, on a very gross level and not really looking at the details, the, the microscopic level of what's actually happening in the brain. And it didn't really represent the truth of the situation because language is actually processed across the left and the right side of the brain, not just on the, on the left side of the brain, like we are often told. And it was as advances in science progressed, so we realized that. And so we still hear the left-right brain concept out there because it was a great way of developing programs and selling programs. And so it a great sort of concept to enter into popular culture and businesses grew out of this concept, and so it was spoken about so much. And when something gets so popularized in, in the media, people kind of accept it and expect, think that that's totally correct and apply those principles. The next neuromyth I want to talk about is the learning styles neuromyth. And this one has given me so many headaches as well, because many individuals believe that they learn better when they receive information in their preferred learning style. You may have gone to a school or attended a course or have your own children in a school or done something at university or even at work where you were told that to fill in a particular kind of evaluation to see whether you learn best through the auditory mode, in other words, listening or visual spatial or kinesthetic. 
So you you know those kind of, of of terms, and that gives the kind of gives the the sense that that when you that you are going to learn best through only one medium. This thinking is it's inaccurate because it's not it didn't have a good scientific base. In fact, there was no science ever talking about the learning styles neuromyth. It was a it was a theory that was put forward by groups of people many years a group of people many years ago. And because it made kind of made sense that, oh, we all learn differently, so we must have a different mode of learning. And it was very quickly picked up once again as a myth and as something that was an easy thing to explain in terms of the differences in humanity. And it got through into the popular media and became a popular concept. It's actually kind of scary, though, neuromyths, because these things influence education. And so very often schools were, it was a very big trend, and it has been, and it still is to a certain extent, to assess children and to see their learning style. They even, there even was a movement about 10 years ago, up till about five, 10 years ago, where people would actually create, organize their classrooms and their schools around the learning styles of the students. So they would go into X class and they would have more visual stimulation or they would go into another class and they would have more auditory stimulation. But what we know from the actual research is that we, when we are thinking as humans, we use all of our brain and our brain has these different neurological pillars and these different neurological pillars are like areas in the brain and there's seven of them. And in order for you to think properly and feel and make choices and do whatever it is that you do, in other words, function like an intelligent human being, you need to use all of these seven different pillars of your brain and information cycles through all of them. So it's not just one, it's seven. And a visual spatial is one of them and linguistic is one of them and kinesthetic is one of them and and there's seven of these different ones. So you can't be kinesthetic or visual spatial because you are all seven. You can find more information about this in my book, Think, Learn, Succeed, that we're studying this month and also in my book, The Perfect You, that we studied last month from two different angles. So just one more thing about this. If you say to me that you're an auditory learner, it's almost like saying to me, you only eat with your tongue. Now, we all know you can't just eat with your tongue. You have a whole digestive system. And that's pretty much what learning style, the learning style neuromyth is saying, that you're only thinking with one part of you. Another one is the memory neuromyth. Oh my goodness. Memory is not only the heart of learning, but it's an indispensable, it's indispensable in every area of life. But what is memory and how can we use it to the best of our abilities? Well, I'm sure you've seen the headlines and the games and the, um, the advertisements for things like improve your memory, increase your memory capacity, how to get an exceptional memory fast. These are typical examples of a number of advertising slogans for apps and books and pills and programs. Memory, however, is a complex, very, very complex process that is only beginning to be fully, to be understood, not even fully understood. All we know for certain is that memory building requires intensive focus and understanding and a repeated effort and that long-term memory is like a relationship. When you first meet someone, you just meet them. You just meet them, you're not going to have a deep relationship. But if you choose to have a deep relationship, you're going to spend time talking with them and getting to know them and understand them. That's what memory is like. So there's no quick fix for memory. And a lot of these memory games that talk about exceptional memory fast are using something called mnemonics, which are memory tricks. And yes, those do work. They're tricks to help you remember lists of things or, you know, and they can be quite useful once you understand the work, but they don't lead to a decent, long-term, sustainable type memory, which is what we designed to build. That just takes good old-fashioned hard hard work. So unfortunately, commercial computer-based memory training programs don't 
actually fulfill the claims that they make. And they've been around for about 20 years. And there's a lot now where science, this is an example of science, educational and marketing world and business world catching up with science in that we see now, we see a, a more of an awareness of the scientifically shown fact that when you play these games, they might increase your speed of processing. They may increase your ability to remember a list of, of facts, but they certainly don't translate into deep, intentional, deliberate, intellectual understanding type memory that you need in order to be good at what you do. In order to thrive at schoolwork and life, you need a much deeper way of building memory. So these brain games do not necessarily develop deep thinking, meaningful cognitive skills that lead that change behavior that lead to success. As I said, I, be, I speak about this extensively in my book, Think, Learn, Succeed. So these games don't improve the kind of intelligence that help people intellectualize, reason, solve problems, and make wise choices. And that's what we need to do to, to be successful. You need to be able to intellectualize, reason well, solve problems, and make wise choices. In contrast, mental training via deep thinking and understanding to build memory and learn, as I put forward in my techniques and in my books and programs like Think, Learn, Succeed, my new Switch app that's coming out, and the various different books and programs I have. These kind of things increase the number of neurons where, where that actually survive, particularly when the training goals are challenging and that you are prepared to put the effort and time into it. Not a quick fix. Think of the relationship concept. You're not going to develop a deep relationship in a quick fix manner. It takes time. The survival of neurons in your brain um, with their dendrites, which are little branches on the neurons where memory is actually stored, means long-term useful, meaningful memories are formed. So in order for brain material to survive, you have to learn to build memory effectively. Quick fixes don't. They actually destroy neurons. Neurons will start dying when you try a quick fix way of memory building. Then another, another bane of my life in terms of neuromyths is the rote memorization neuromyth. We are not designed to remember any, everything and anything. In fact, we only really need to remember the meat of what we're learning, which is usually somewhere between 15 to 35% of the information, on a con basically on a conceptual level. The rest of that information is actually redundancy, which can interfere with your deep, meaningful understanding of what's really important. So rote memorization, which is learning things off by heart without really understanding them or without, very often without any understanding, is basically going to cause damage in your brain because it goes completely against how the brain is designed to build memory. The little dendrites that hold the memory do not respond well with rote memorization. If you understand something first and then you need to remember a list of things, like for example, a doctor needs to remember the names of various different drugs, for example, they were medications for heart, for various different heart diseases or something. Once they understand the concept, then, they, then there's a level of, of rote memorization or making sure that they know that the, they remember those terms and the different diagnoses and the different types of medication. But first, the understanding before the rote memorization. What happens a lot in schools with rote memorization is, is that students will go and learn the missing words in a document or will learn to, basically for the test and will learn lists of missing words and then through multiple choice just look for the words and recognize them and then choose, choose the answer. And that's not leading, leading to deep meaningful learning. That's where rote memorization is actually very damaging to the brain. So we want to be very careful how we use rote memorization. And then the last myth that we're going to handle today is the myth that intelligence is predetermined, meaning that your intelligence is fixed. 
But that's not what the research says. The research from about the mid-90s showed that intelligence is definitely not fixed or static or genetically determined. Intelligence is determined by each individual person in how they use their mind. So the more you think, feel and choose in a determined, intentional and deliberate way to learn information and understand it, the more you will increase your intelligence. So your intelligence is in your hands. Where did this myth come from? Back in the 60s, 70s and 80s, they didn't believe that the brain could change. It was a belief that genetically intelligence is predetermined. So you either had it or you didn't. And it was a very negative era, followed up with the IQ testing era, which is actually also being completely disproved at this stage that people would measure you and say, well, you have X IQ and you can go to university or you're intelligent or you're not intelligent. But things like IQ tests are very static. It's like taking a photograph. It's a snapshot of how you happen to be at that moment, but it says nothing about your potential. So now we view intelligence as something that is dynamic, that is ongoing, and that is very much up to the person to develop. A lot of research shows that people can come from very negative backgrounds with abuse and all kinds of traumas, and they can be low functioning in schools. But once you help them deal with the traumas and you expose them to learning how to learn and expose them to knowledge and help them to learn in a meaningful way and understand understand their work, their intelligence completely changes and they start growing in their wisdom. So the truth is that the more we think deeply about what we are reading and learning, the more intelligent we become. Intelligence is directly related to how we build memory, which can change, develop and grow. I hope you've enjoyed this information today. You can find lots more about this in my book, Think, Learn, Succeed. Thank you for joining me. I'm Dr. Caroline Leith.